Good morning. <laughs> Waiting down those lights. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're with us, whether you're here in person or if you're joining us online. We're glad that you're worshiping with us, that you've come to hear from God's word this morning. We're going to be uh, kicking off, if you see, uh, a new series called Miraculous, where we're going to be uh, digging into just a few of the miracles that Jesus performed here on his earthly ministry. Uh, looking at some of these things that are, are supernatural, that are beyond our comprehension, uh, and to see what exactly is the purpose behind all of these things. Because I'm kind of curious, and I asked the first service this as well, but how many of you would you say that you've experienced something miraculous in your life? You can just shoot a hand. I'm just, yeah, see, that was the same thing. So, okay, the vast majority uh, for the most part. And so it's not something that we're unfamiliar with. This idea that maybe something that just is inexplainable, that, that you don't have any other way to rationalize, that, that only the hand of God could do. I know I've seen it in my life time and time again. There's times where God just seemingly lined things up in such a way that I, I just couldn't explain, and it was for my benefit. And I look at that, I go, wow, that's the, that's the provision, that's the love, that's the providence of God in my life. But as we look back into Scripture, what was the purpose of miracles then? What was the purpose of a miracle in Jesus' ministry? And, and how would we actually define a miracle? These are the two questions that we're going to wrestle with here as we start. What is a miracle in Jesus' ministry? And what is the purpose of that miracle? You see, in the Old Testament, there would be miracles performed by prophets, and it would authenticate the prophet. So the people would know this person is from God, so we should probably listen to what they have to say. And when Jesus begins his ministry and begins performing miracles, there's, uh, there's a purpose behind that as well. But first we have to define it, and so I went to our, if you're not familiar, we are a Lutheran church, a uh, Lutheran church website, and was able to find a definition of a miracle, so we can function with this for the next couple of weeks. It's an extraordinary manifestation of God's power for the edification of our faith. How's that sound? Here's the good news for some of you, if you're anything like me. Our kids are doing the same thing. So I went to our kids' team and I asked them, what's uh, the definition you guys are working with? It's very similar. It's an extraordinary work. A miracle is an extraordinary work that could only be God's power, and miracles are meant to strengthen our faith. A little bit easier? We can function with that one for the, <laughs> for, the, for the next couple of weeks. But here we see, it is the power of God. It is the presence of God. It is God coming down, doing something only God could do, but then we don't lose sight. He's not just coming down to do the miracle. The miracle is a sign that points right back to him. If we look at miracles and we look at them just as an end in themselves, even in our own lives, we miss the point. We miss the purpose behind this. It actually even says that this is exactly what miracles are for. See, in the book of John, it says, now Jesus did many other signs, many other miracles that aren't recorded, uh, in, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the point. That's the purpose. That's what is the whole reason for a miracle is that you would believe in Jesus, you believe who he is, what he's done, and that by believing in him, you would have eternal life. It's not just about that present moment and that miracle. And if we lose sight of this, we let things go haywire and we get really confused. In the book of Acts in chapter 14, there's a story 
of Paul and Barnabas. And so here's Paul, who's an apostle of God. He's going and he's on his missionary journeys. And as he's there, he's performing miracles. He's sharing the gospel. And as he performs a miracle and he heals a lame man, all of a sudden, all those around him, they lose sight. They, they don't see God behind the miracle, but they focus on Paul and Barnabas. And all the people all of a sudden start going, it's Zeus and it's Hermes. It's, it's the God. They are gods. These men are gods because only gods could do a miracle like this. And immediately, Paul and Barnabas tear their robes. And no, 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 you're missing it. That's not the point. The point of the healing of the layman was not that we want any sor sort of self-glorification, but God is working in us and he's working through us so that you may believe. And see, in 1 Corinthians, we also see it clarified for us with all miracles. Because Paul's writing here, he says, for Jews demanded signs, Jews demanded miracles. If you actually read any of the Gospels, you see that Pharisees and scribes, when they came into contact with Jesus and his ministry, they'd ask him, point blank, what's your sign? What's your miracle? Authenticate yourself. That Jesus is doing miracles left and right, but they still, they still couldn't see him for who he was. They still didn't fully understand who this, who this man was as this prophet who's doing these miracles and teaching this way. They were demanding signs from him, and they didn't get it. And Greeks, they, they trusted in wisdom. They, they sought after wisdom and philosophy. But here's Paul. This is where he hangs his hat. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. And this is a stumbling block for Jews who want signs, and it's folly to Gentiles. This is the miracle. This is the miracle, Christ on the cross, his death and his resurrection, that all other miracles are pointing back to a God who would willingly send down his son for you and I, and as we celebrated last week, and, and die for us, and rise again that we might have life in him and hope in him. So now we know, here's the purpose of miracles. The miracles, the, the provision that God has given you in your life, we, we can't lose sight. It's to point back to God. And the miracles that we'll be exploring the next few weeks, that they're all pointing back to Jesus, who he is and what he's done. So today we're going to be looking at a miracle that actually follows Jesus' resurrection. He died on the cross, he rose again, and he began to appear to his disciples. And so we're going to be picking up uh, in John 21, and we're going to be looking at just a few verses, uh, 3 through 13. So if you're with us here today, you can grab a Bible. Uh, as we dig into these verses, it's going to be on page 907. Uh, and if you're a guest this morning and you don't have a Bible at home, that, that Bible that you're picking up right now, that is our gift to you. We, we encourage you to take that with you. We'll also encourage those that are online to follow along with us as we dig into these verses. And so like I mentioned, so here the disciples are. They've seen the resurrected Jesus. They have seen the holes in his hands. They've seen the scar on his side. They've seen Jesus in his glorified body appear inside a house behind locked doors all of a sudden, and he's appeared to more than one person. He's appeared to several people at this point. Yet he's not with them 24-7 like he was in his ministry before his death and resurrection. So he's coming and going. He's showing up when he wants to show up. And in, 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 and in between, the disciples don't know what to do. So they're just like in this one of these spots, like, okay, we saw Jesus, we saw him resurrected, and now we don't know what to do because he's not here right now. And so what did they do? They went fishing. 
Simon Peter said to them, said to the other disciples, because they're confused, Jesus isn't around, and he says, I'm going to go fishing. And they said to him, we will go, uh, well, we will go with you. They went with him. And so if there's someone, I actually found out from the first service, there was someone who had gone fishing today. If there's someone that's watching on a boat fishing, you're not far off. That's what the disciples did. The Easter happened, then shortly after they went fishing. They didn't know, it's because that's our very nature, isn't it? We're creatures of habit. And in, in a vacuum, when we don't know what to do, we just kind of fall back into our old patterns. And so all of a sudden, they, this miraculous thing has happened. Jesus has rose from the dead. They've seen him. They're his followers. And they don't know what to do. But this is what they have done, because Simon Peter and many of the other disciples were fishermen. That was their livelihood. That was the way that they paid the bills. That's the way that they provided for themselves and their families, is that they fished. So they went back to what they knew. It only makes sense, so, you know, without any direction from Jesus, what do we do? I guess we go fishing. It's what we know how to do. Uh, And they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. This is just like, you know, one quick verse, but just think about this. They all get in this boat. They have no idea what to do. They get in the boat. They go on the Sea of Galilee, trained fishermen, fishermen by trade, fishermen that provided for their family, and they caught nothing. They fished all night. Now they cast a net, and it came back empty. And they cast another net, came back empty. That they moved the location because maybe the fish are going to be over here, it came back empty. They tried and tried and tried again through a whole night. And all they ended up with was an empty net. Just a little side note, but I find this a little bit curious. Because just a couple chapters earlier, Jesus asked Simon Peter to stay and to pray with him for one hour. Peter couldn't do it. Yet, here Peter is toiling away in the evening trying to catch fish, and couldn't stay to pray with Jesus for an hour. So here they are. They're toiling, they're trying, and they just come up empty. And I don't know about you, but this resonates with me. That there are times in our lives where we try, and we try, and we try, and we think we're doing the right thing to get the result that we want, and it comes back as an empty net. That for whatever reason, it's either ourselves applying ourselves at work or at home or wherever it may be, and even despite our best efforts, we come back with an empty net. And it could be something financial, it could be even just simply providing like physical needs, a house, a, a car, even food for yourself and your family. It, sometimes our efforts come back empty. If you're not aware, right now is not a great time to buy a house. And so my family, we've been here two years, and and last year we cast a net several times. It came back empty. This year, we cast a net even more. We cast a net, we put an offer, we went and looked at it, it came back empty. We cast a net again, and this time it was above asking, and I'm uncomfortable with that, and it came back empty. And then we cast a net again, and this time we went above asking, and then we even did an appraisal guarantee, and it came back empty. Thank God, because I don't have the money anyways. Uh, (laughs) But maybe you can relate to that, that there are times in our lives where we're trying, and we're casting nets, and we are just 
toiling and we're trying and we're striving and it is coming back empty. It doesn't even just have to be, you know, physical things. It could be emotional things too. You could be trying and you try and you try in a relationship and it feels like and that's coming back empty because they don't reciprocate. It could be spiritual that you try and try and maybe you feel like you're reaching out to God. Maybe you've called out to him and it feels like it's coming back empty. But they look closer at this text. They realize that the miracles that was, that's going to come, it can't happen in less than that's empty. And the reality is that the empty net's a gift. That in the void, when there's nothing in that net, when there's nothing coming back their way, that there's, that there's now a need. Now there is a posture of dependency because they've tried and they've toiled and they've tr- they put all their effort into trying to catch these fish and they come back empty every single time. And that in our lives, it's not unlike theirs, that if we try and we try and we try, all of a sudden, when we can't produce in the way that we think that we should be able to, it can drive us crazy, but it can also drive us to our knees. It can drive us out to calling out to God, like, God, can, I, I'm trying here, and nothing is coming of this. What am I supposed to do? The empty net actually sets the stage for a miracle. A lame man on the side of a road sets the stage for a miracle to happen for him to be able to walk. A blind man on the side of the road sets up a miracle for Jesus to restore sight. And actually, Jesus and his disciples, it, for this very reason, for there's a blind man on the side of the road, and the disciples ask Jesus, why is this man blind? Is it his sin or his, his parents' sin? Is that why he's blind? And Jesus tells them, it's so that you can see the power of God. So that you can see who Jesus is. So that you can see what he's come to do. The empty net is setting the stage for a miracle to take place. So Jesus, in his new fashion, now in his resurrected body, just showing up whenever he chooses, wherever he chooses, he just shows up on the shore. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. We see this a few times after Jesus is resurrected, that he's there, but they don't fully comprehend who he is. And Jesus said to them, Children, which I love, Sometimes they're brothers. In this case, they're children. Children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. They could have answered, get lost, guy. Like, we're out here. We're trying to fish. They don't know it's Jesus yet. And he calls out to them, knowing knowing full well that they don't have any fish in their net yet. And Jesus calls to them, and he uses that term. And we're going to hang on to that term. Remember that, that term, children. And then he gives them some instructions. Guy on the shore, random guy on the shore to the disciples out in the boat, trained fishermen, they know what to do. They've been trying time and time again. And the guy on the shore just says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. And so they cast it. One small step of obedience. They could have easily looked back to the entire evening when it is a better time to fish and thought, we're trained fishermen, we know what to do, I know how to handle this situation, and now this guy on the shore is trying to tell me how to fish. But they just listened in obedience. We don't have any other clue other than the fact that they just cast it, they just cast, they just try. In our lives, are we willing to do the same, that if if God is calling you to take a small step of obedience, to simply just trust him, 
and not to question it and not to not to try to wrestle with him or try to rationalize your own way, but just to trust. Okay, if God's calling me to do something, then I'm just going to step forward in obedience because I trust that my God's good and that he can provide. And so they did. They cast a net another time. After cast, casting it for an entire evening, they cast it one more time. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That they had so many fish they couldn't pull the net up. And I have to imagine at this point, this is starting to seem like deja vu to some of these guys. Because at the start of Jesus' ministry, when he's calling these disciples, this same thing happened. That Jesus at that time was actually in the boat with Simon Peter, and they had been fishing and toiling and trying all night and caught nothing. And Jesus told them to cast it again. And at that time, Peter said, well, we've been trying all night, but Jesus convinced them to try it again. And they did, and then, at that time, their nets broke because they caught so many fish that another boat had to come by to help them with all the fish. And here again, with a resurrected Jesus, not in the boat, but on the shore, calling out to them, they cast the net in obedience, and now they are overwhelmed with the quantity of fish yet again. Because all the fish are Jesus' fish. Did you know that? In Psalm 50, it says this. This is God speaking. For, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the fields is mine. Did you know your God's a rancher? He owns the cattle, he knows the birds. He knows the fish. He has storehouses of goodness that he is willingly uh, gives us each and every day, even when we don't ask him for it, and he provides it for us. And so here again, God, Jesus knows these fish. He knows the fish. Almost in a miraculous way that these guys didn't catch any fish all night so that Jesus could call those fish into that net at that time so that the disciples could have fish. so that the the disciples could see that it was Jesus. John was the first one to get this. It says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John who's writing this book, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. He gets it. He's the first to get it. And he calls out to them, it's the Lord. When so easily he could have just looked at it and goes, it's some fish. It's some fish here. But He looked past the miracle to the miracle worker. He looked past the provision to the provider. Yet in our own lives and in my own life, I believe that sometimes we stumble when it comes to this because we get the stuff we're praying for. We get the stuff that we want or the stuff that we really, really need. And then all of a sudden we cling tight to that. We cast prayer aside and we go, thanks a lot, God. Got the fish. See you later. Maybe when I need some stuff again, maybe I'll pray. But here's John, the first one to point out. It's Jesus. Here's the significance. It's not about the fish. Simon Peter, as he heard this, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples 
came in the boat dragging a net full of fish without Peter helping them, uh, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. Just a football length, field length away from Jesus, they all decide to row back with all the fish that they got. But something inside of Peter compelled him to go to Jesus, to, to like make a fool of himself and do the first hundred-yard freestyle in the Sea of Galilee ever recorded, right, to Jesus because he was more concerned about the one who had provided than what had been provided. And it would be so easy to say, I tried all night, this is the very thing I wanted. I'm the one that told the disciples, let's go fish. I'm the one that cast nets over and over and over again, and I wanted fish, and now I have fish. But in this moment, he wants the relationship with Jesus. He wants a conversation with Jesus. He wants Jesus more than he wants stuff. He wants to go see the one that he knows and loves. What's miraculous about this as well is that if you go back to the first time Jesus performed this miracle of fish, is that Peter's response upon seeing all the fish they caught the first time was to drop to his knees and tell Jesus to leave him because he was an unclean man, because he was sinful. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He didn't feel like he could be in the presence of Jesus because he was a powerful prophet who didn't fully yet understand that this was the Messiah, but now here Peter is, and he's seeing the resurrected Jesus. And rather than cowering and running away or just clinging to the fish, this is the same Peter that betrayed Jesus three times. He still knows that Jesus is good and loving, so he throws himself into the sea and goes after Jesus. What about you? Has God's abundance in your life, has it drawn you closer to him? All the things that, that we have, all the things that are continually provided for, for us on a daily basis, do these things amplify our gratitude and our thanks towards our Heavenly Father? Or the distractions that get in the way? because we just busy ourselves with all the stuff that he's given us that we don't take the time to thank him. And the only time that we actually go to him is when we feel like we have another empty net that needs to be filled up again to come before God and go, this one's empty. I need some stuff again. I know that you have it all. I know that you have the cattle. I know that you can provide in whatever way you want. I need the stuff again. Or would we be willing to be more like Peter and to lay aside that stuff? to go, all I want is you, God. All I want is a relationship with you. All I want to see is not your miracles, not all that stuff, but I want to see you for who you are and what you've done for me because you are willing to come to me. I want to come to you. We see God's grace and mercy and love and how he orchestrated this miracle because as the disciples come ashore, they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. Where'd the fish come from? <laughs> yeah. It was Jesus' fish. They had a net full. 
It's not yet by the fire. Jesus has a charcoal fire with a fish already on it. And they're out there trying the best that they can and coming up short. And Jesus already has it all taken care of. He's already there, and he's setting up a sunrise picnic on the shore of Galilee for all his disciples. Has a charcoal fire in place. He already has fish and bread laid out. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that, I love this, you caught. Good job, guys. Good job, children. The fish you caught. Remember how you tried all night, and then all I had to say was cast a net again? You caught those fish. Good job, champ. Uh, it's just astounding. And so now they actually get to partake uh, in, in the picnic that Jesus is setting up. And, and here I see a miracle too. Jesus actually fills their net. They realize who Jesus is. And now they're gathering for a family meal, which in some households can be miraculous, can it? I know in my household... Our three boys, they're, they're not like triplets, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is them all at uh, roughly the same age and stage. Gathering for a meal, coming to the table. It can be a mess, right? Spaghetti night and bath night are the same night in my household. And so what happens when we gather for a meal is now our youngest, who's there in the center, that's Owen, nine months old, is that we have all that he needs. Right? We have all the food that he needs. It's all right there. And so what we do is uh, put the food on a spoon, maybe, maybe be an airplane, you know, for those that enjoy that. Uh, each kid is different. And all he has to do is what? Uh, that's all he has to do. What does he do? He grabs a spoon. One simple act of defiance and disobedience that leads to a big mess because he can't quite figure it out the same way. Right? And it happened now, this is the third time, third time that we've seen this, and each of them are alike in that, that sure, you can feed me a little bit, but I want to grab the spoon. I want to be in control. I can do it myself. Do you see yourself? God has everything that you need. God wants to provide for you in every way. God has the table set and the spoon filled. And he's just asking you to receive. Yet what you and I do, we grab the spoon. Here comes the stuff. Here comes the stuff that God's going to give me. Here's the stuff that I was asking for. Let me go ahead and grab a hold of it because I know better, because I can do it myself, because I can figure it out on my own, because I'm independent, because I'm smart enough. I, I can do it on my own. 
I don't need your help because it's a humbling posture. It's humbling to be in this position of dependence to say, I trust you. I trust that right now that I'm hungry and you're going to feed me. I trust right now that I feel like there's not enough and you're going to provide. I'm going to trust right now, God, that I feel alone and that there's no one around and I'm going to trust that you're there. God, I feel emotionally empty, spiritually empty, God. And he's right there and he's ready to hand it to you, to give it to you, that you would simply take the posture of a child. Children, children, he has all that you need. He has all that we need. We simply just need to receive it from him. So Simon Peter, he went aboard. He uh, hauled the net ashore full of fish. So now Peter's finally helping out. He's done swimming, and now he's pulling the fish. And here's this net full of large fish. You know fishermen, right? How big was it? Well, these are large fish. And not even just that, but there's 153 of them. There's a bunch of different thoughts that fly around around the number. Here's the deal. You could dig into some of those things. It was a lot of fish. It was so many fish that these fishermen, these career fishermen, recorded it. They, they stopped to actually count how many fish that there were. And that not only that, but they were large fish because it, our God is not a God who skimps when he gives, right? He's a God of abundance. Here's large fish, here's a full net, and then here's the other miracle that's taking place. And although there were so many, likely the largest catch of their career, so many fish, the net didn't break. The first time that Jesus called his disciples, the net broke. Some fish got away. But here, Jesus called these fish into this net, and Jesus told that net not to break. Almost as to say to his disciples, hey, remember? I told you, you're not fishermen anymore. You're to be fishers of men. And that when you go out to catch people with the gospel, when you cast the net of my proclamation of my good news, when you go and preach Christ crucified and cast that net out, it doesn't come back empty. It comes back full because his when his word goes out, it doesn't return void. And anyone that is being called by God can be assured that God is doing that work and the net won't break because it's him who is doing the work. And so he gathers all of them there. They pull the fish and Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Again, we, hear, we see that this resurrected Jesus, there's something different about him, and the disciples don't fully understand, but the miraculous thing that's really taking place here is not about the fish. It's not about the fire. It's about the disciples starting, starting to see who Jesus really is, what he had come to do, what he had accomplished on the cross and in the empty tomb. And now here Jesus is taking the time after bearing the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders, after dying for everyone, he's taking the time to sit down with a few, to have a conversation, to provide them with breakfast, and he feeds them. Jesus feeds his kids. Jesus came, he took the bread, he gave it to them, and so with the fish. 
he gave it to them. Jesus is still giving. Jesus is still providing. Jesus is still the one that is providing this for us today as well. All that we need. And he's patient as he does so. In verse 14, it actually tells us, now this was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The third time. They don't get it yet. They don't fully understand or comprehend. They're starting to see who the resurrected Jesus is. They're starting to understand. They're starting to see. But what they don't have yet now yet is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is going to send. That has not yet come for these disciples and for all believers. That Jesus is patient and time and time and time again that he will provide for us that he will do things in our lives that we can't do for ourselves. Most importantly, though, doing the thing that we can't do for ourselves by coming to faith in Jesus. But in the everyday things, he still provides. See, it's my third time. It's my third time buying a house with my wife. Bought a house in St. Luke. God provided. Been for God. In Texas, went to buy a house. God provided. What'd Ben do? I forgot. God provided. In these last two years, as I've cast the net, as we've cast the net and tossed things out, been for God. And up until about a couple weeks ago, when it was finally brought to the point of going, God, it's in your hands. God, if we need to rent again. God, we have three boys. We need space. We need, we need this. God dropped it in our lap. God provided in a way that we could never have orchestrated. I could, I'm not that smart, not that wise, don't have, like, it just fell into place in his perfect time and in his perfect way. But I need to be careful because if I do like I've done before, I'm going to forget. God's provision, God's love towards me, God's feeding me and providing for my family in such a way so that I remember each and every time that it's not about the house, it's not about the car. It's not about the job. It's not about the relationship. It's about God. It's about the Savior. It's about Jesus and what he's done. And he's going, I'll provide for you in this little way, but don't you see? Don't you see what I did for you on the cross? Do you see that miracle? Do you see the debt that you once had that has now been reconciled through me? Yep, I can give you a house, no problem. You want some fish, no big deal. I paid for your sins. Do you want to spend some time with me? Do you want to be with me? Because he's willing to come back time and time again as we forget, as children do. We go, hey, it's mealtime again. I'm here, and I'm going to feed you. It's astounding after this, too, is that there's this conversation between Peter and Jesus. It's called the reconciliation of Peter because Peter had betrayed Jesus. Peter had denied him three times. And each time that Jesus was inviting him back into a relationship, he said, feed my sheep. What I find interesting as you look at the story as a whole, Peter couldn't catch a fish to save his life. Moments before. And Jesus is standing in front of Peter and saying, feed my sheep. If it was up to Peter... He couldn't do a thing. But if it's up to God, 
He can do amazing things in you and through you that Peter and the other disciples would lay the foundation of the church, that they would cast their nets for people, that the church that we are a part of today is because of what Jesus has done in and through Peter and the other disciples, the apostles, as they spread that good news. And the invitation to us is the same today, is to first be fed as a child. Take the posture. Ah. Uh, remember, don't forget, don't grab the spoon. He's in control, and he's going to give you all that you need, and maybe not all that you want. He is a God of abundance, and we simply need to trust and ask. And then he calls us to action, and he says, now, do you trust? Now, do you see? Do you see what I've done? I want you to go tell others about it. I want you to feed others. If it was up to yourself, you couldn't do anything. But I want to work in you and through you so that more and more of my children will come back to me. More of, my, more of my children will see me for who I am and that because of it, because of the miracle, is not about the miracle, but the miracle is about those coming to the saving faith of Jesus Christ, what he has done, and that God is drawing his people back to himself. And his primary means is through us. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful that we get to use that title as we call out to you, Father. A good Father. A Father who provides. A Father who loves. A Father who knows and anticipates our needs before we even know we have them. God, help us to take that posture of children more and more and not be quick to forget all the ways that you provide for us. And most importantly, how you have provided for us on the cross through your son, Jesus Christ, who's paid the debt that we can never pay for ourselves. Now we can have a relationship with you, God, and that we get to go forth and tell others the good news of a heavenly father who loves them and though their nets may be empty, that they have access to a father who has abundance for them, who has goodness for them, that they might come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done. We pray this in his name. Amen.